Welcome to the Comparing Notes podcast. My name is Andy Wolf, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Glenn and Ryan. And uh, we are three ordinary pastors from three different generations talking about life and ministry. We always start off uh, an opportunity for you to get to know us a little bit. And uh, today we're going to talk about the first time that you guys can remember hearing the gospel inside of a church. Um, Maybe it was at a sermon, maybe it was at a meeting, but when was the first time that you can remember hearing the gospel in the church? And I'll go first. Um, It was actually the one that I poignantly remember is uh, when I was about five or six and uh, the gospel was presented at a vacation Bible school. Um, It was actually when I first walked the aisle and made a confession of faith. Um, And so I I remember that very vividly. I don't remember all that was said, but I do remember um, that I was a, a sinner and I didn't want to go to hell, and I knew that Jesus was the uh, was the answer to that. Um, and uh, I remember walking down and saying I wanted to pray, and so uh, that's what I can remember as uh, as a first time hearing it and and uh, realizing it in the church. How about you guys? Well, I'll, I'll go next. This was a really interesting question. It just obviously got me thinking, and I think mine was also at a, at a vacation Bible school as well, and was around the wordless book. Um, and was by Miss Betty, who was the, the, the pastor's wife at, at, at the church that I grew up in, um, and also pastor and all that story for the first, you know, 20 years. Uh, yeah. And it was just the, the, the hearing just kind of what the wordless book does that the Lord is going to wash my sins clean. So I think if that's the first time hearing the gospel in the church, that, ha- that would have to be the answer. I think for me, it was, uh, you know, I grew up in the, in the Lutheran church and, and just, uh, putting, putting, so it was when I was uh, probably upper elementary, I'm thinking fifth, sixth grade, but just trying to put together the whole Christmas season with Lent, uh, going into Easter and the idea of, of Jesus coming to earth. Well, why did he come to earth? Um, you know, to die in the cross and then to be resur- uh, to be raised from the dead for our sins. And I never made it personal. I just kind of thought it was just, just kind of corporately what we believe. And I had no reason to, to think any different than that. But I think just, I remember at that age, just contemplating that more during those holiday seasons. Uh, so that when it, the gospel was presented at another time in my life, when I desperately needed to hear it, uh, they didn't have to convince me of those. I just need to convince myself that it was something that I personally had to address and thankfully did. Well, I appreciate you guys sharing about that. Um, That kind of leads us into what I'd like to talk about today. And it really is kind of evangelizing or talking about the gospel within the church. Uh, I've been thinking about this a little bit more. And to give you guys a little bit of a background, um, I would say for many of us, we probably think of it, of the gospel being presented in what I would call revivalistic kind of terms. Um, Especially here in the Southeast, uh, revivalism has had a had a huge impact, and um, I kind of always joke that revivalism is about um, going to a meeting, praying a prayer, throwing a pine cone in the in the fire, and signing a card. Um, and, and it's that kind of mentality that the gospel is going to be presented, a decision is going to be asked for, um, and that's kind of the way that uh, you do evangelism in the church. Um, the other way would be to go out into the community and to do evangelism outside of the church. Um, I would say for I think all of us in some ways are adjacent to that tradition and it influences us at some level. Um, but I know for me and for the tradition of our church, that's not really what we do. We don't do an invitation every week. 
Um, we, it's not something that we do in a, in a regular way. And, uh, and, but yet I've been thinking more recently about how do we talk about and how do we present the gospel in the church? Um, because I think there's been a very bad assumption that oftentimes we think of the people within the church as people that are saved or mm. people that know the gospel, um, that people that are aware of the truth of what Jesus has done for them. Um, and so I've just been thinking about that a little bit more. Um, and, and I'd be curious to hear from you guys kind of thinking about that revivalist tradition. Where are you, where do you kind of locate yourself in that? And what experiences have you had um, that have either kind of, fixed you in that tradition or kind of taken you outside of that? I I would say that I um, understand the history of the revivalist tradition and kind of have been, a, as your words, Andy, have been adjacent to it, not necessarily um, kind of personally impacted by it, though many, many around me have been like my wife has talked about like one of the I would say fond memory as a child was that her family would go to the pack the pew night at church where they would win some awards. And I don't know what that was, whether it was candy the next Sunday. I mean, this was as a kid. So candy the next Sunday or gold star on the wall or whatever. So, but you know, if you, if you invited the most people and, and your pew is all packed out and whoever had kind of, you know, as the name says, the most packed pew would win sort of thing, which is entirely revivalistic. Um, and then even uh, just some dear saints that uh, came to the to the church while I was preaching um, at at the community was a kind of independent fundamentalist preacher, and so he was an itinerant preacher that would travel around and do those type things. We talk about the revival meetings where they would just kind of speak on end and preach on end and have the just as I am sermon kind of going going over and over and over again. Um, but it, it's interesting, Andy, that you bring up this topic because it it it, it for me, it kind of creates a separation in my mind of what churches do. It's that that there are, as you said, some some churches that go, I think wrongly, I think both sides are wrong, that the church isn't the place for evangelism, but it's for equipping because the church is for sinners or is is for saints, saints. Is, is for believers. And then you have the opposite where they go, no, the church is the place for evangelism. And the sermons and the kind of the fellowship and the organization is focused around evangelism almost exclusively. And so it has at times, again, to use certain language, maybe a very um, kind of elementary f kind of fundamental view of things. And so just this whole topic of where what is evangelism? And in one sense, it's you. I see you trying to bring those two together where we're what what maybe don't want to put words in your mouth saying it's not one or the other, but it's a both and where the gospel needs to be present and hear it in, in a local congregation. But there also needs to be more kind of meat substances to quote Hebrews there. So yeah, that's kind of my, my history and then some kind of opening, I don't know, comments. Yeah, my mind goes to Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses, you know, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. You know, um, the Evangelical Free Church of America, who uh, who I am associated with, um, comes from a revivalist, has that revivalist history. Um, I'm thinking of that night that I became a Christian. Uh, it was a work of a work of the Spirit was taking place in my hometown. Uh, the believers were being 
revived to the point that people are going to hell if they don't hear the message to where I was invited to come to a meet. I was just a church Bible study that night. The gospel was presented, but the Holy Spirit was speaking to my spirit through that time. So, so there was that, that spiritual power as people were being a witness to uh, their own walk and what Jesus had done in their life. Um, so, uh, so I like that word adjacent again, as you have said, I'd like, I want my life to be adjacent to what that spirit is doing and how he will hopefully be reviving the reality, the spiritual realities in my life and the lack of, of, uh, spiritual awareness that some have. And I, and I want to be a part of that. Now, how do we do mm. that? How do we play that out in the church? And I love your question, Andy. Uh, it made me stop and think, yeah, do I even think about evangelism inside the church? Um, But it's going on. I mean, Christian education, uh, that was a major in my Bible school, talks about how can we educate people about what the Christian life is and how can they grow up and how can we do with others? The sermons hopefully will be imparting the facts of the gospel, uh, which is what I was trying to allude to that I was trying to reflect on as as a young kid. So again, as, a, as you talked about Vacation Bible School, uh, when you were younger, uh, that was them evangelizing within their own church as well as within the neighborhood. Um, as adults, how do we bring that same kind of VBS kind of event? Well, we do have revivals, but we know that can be devoid of the Spirit or it could be just a, a true response to the Spirit. But what can we be doing to attract others to an opportunity to hear the message and just trust that the Holy Spirit will do his job. I mean, I think we think about it a little bit easier when we think about kids first. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's very much of a, of a focus or, or many times there's a focus with uh, whether it's Sunday school or children's church or whatever, whatever your church does, that there's a clarifying of the gospel, hopefully, um, as you go through that. But I often wonder as we get to adults, if we if we're outside of that revivalist tradition, if that happens or not. Yeah, I'm thinking I think that is that is true with the children. I think that that's also student ministry. You know, mm-hmm. we have youth events and retreats and we take them to different conferences. Also in college, uh, you know, we have we have the different parachurch organizations as well as the church uh, churches that have college ministries. I think we have that mentality of how can we get the gospel presented in such a way that will attract them. But yeah, what happens when we when we graduate and we and we fall into the normal adult life, even in church life, do we do we do we keep it intentional about wanting to continue to reach out and see how we can gather others in the workplace to know Christ? Well, it almost it almost seems that we we assume kids need to be evangelized because they need to come to Christ. And we assume that, well, maybe that's not going to happen until you're in high school, so we need to keep evangelizing them. And then we assume, well, maybe you've made it all the way through high school and still haven't placed your faith in Christ, so then in college, well, we still need to evangelize. But it's almost like we stop, somewhere around the college age, the assumption of you're here, but you're not believing yet has stopped. And when we look at the adult in the seats, we go, well, of course they must, you know, if they're here, if they've got, if they've gotten up on a Sunday morning and they've gotten dressed and they've driven to church and they're sitting in the pews and they're singing the songs, well, clearly they must be a believer. So why should we not evangelize? Or we don't have a, we don't like, 
like the Iwana books no longer, you know, they phased out of those, the, the high school trips have phased out the, I, I, you know, all of the kind of the, the, the other methodologies that we've had for the younger ages, it stopped. And so, yeah, I love the question, Andy, of like, okay, how do we, how do we almost pick back up evangelism at the adult level, which can, is hard and awkward at times. I want to propose something to you and I want to, I want to see what you guys think of this. I've been thinking about this in terms of adults and I, I kind of wonder if, as we think about evangelizing adults in the church, if we might think about it more as a slow burn instead of a quick decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think of two situations that one that I'm currently in one that, that is, is still there and ongoing, but um, some folks that have not yet come to faith and some, and some that have, and in one situation, um, it's been a over four year process and a very, um, and even in the end of that four year process, uh, really probably about 18 months of, of intentional discipleship, um, before the person came and made a profession of faith. And, uh, and yet I kind of wonder in some ways if that's better hmm. than having, knowing where that person was pressing that person to make a decision um, and then them, you know, almost being that, um, that seed that falls on the, on the ground and sprouts up. And then the, the harsh uh, sun comes Mm -hmm. out and dries it up um, versus really planting them. And I kind of wonder if part of the problem is our bad definition of discipleship. that, that mm-hmm. oftentimes we think of discipleship and discipleship means Christian education, mm-hmm. you know, or maturing education where I tend to think of discipleship in a much larger continuum that it really encompasses all the, all the way from the person who's interested and willing to learn all the way to the mature believer and somewhere mm-hmm. across that continuum towards the beginning, hopefully someone crosses that line of faith um, as the spirit works in them. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of processing that through a little bit. What do you guys think of that? Am I, am I missing something? Am, am, I, am I maybe scared to call for a decision? Um, or is there something else in there that, that I need to be thinking about? I think you're right on. I have that broader view as well. And I think of uh, Jesus' walk with the disciples. That was a slow burn. Uh, that was, uh, you know, over time, uh, they got it bit by bit. And uh, but then I'm, I'm also thinking, though, maybe what has skewed us, or maybe, you know, when it comes to the book of Acts, 3,000 coming to Christ, 5,000 mm. you know, coming and so mm-hmm. forth and so on. And so we're thinking that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, I, think, I think it's a both and. I think, I think the default is that that slow burn, walking with people, you know, picking up where they're at, and like Jesus, just kind of walking, answering questions, challenging them with certain things, and so forth and so on, um, letting them know I'm, that we're really for them. That this this isn't just a a task of getting this message along so we can somehow say we did something. But no, we just really like these people. We we want to walk with them, and we want the very best for them. Versus the fact that that there's something to the fact that. That there could be a, an outpouring of the spirit, and there could be a, a there could be the, those points in time where people just get it, and it seems like there's something really happening here, like there was in my hometown there in the early '70s. So 
think it's a both and, but the default is, yeah, I want to walk with people and then trust that I could be one more time in an environment where that outpouring of a spirit was taking place would be awesome. Yeah. It makes me think of that idea that people have talked about sometimes of how to believe and belong, mm-hmm. work together. Right. Mm-hmm. right. You know, um, sometimes people have said, well, you, be- you belong first and then you believe. And then other times with a desire to guard church membership. And I think there, that is important. And we've, we can talk about that or we, I think we have a little bit, you know, making sure somebody believes before they belong, but, that belonging, I think, sometimes is that building of relationship, connection, understanding, listening, so that they can truly believe um, and, and understand those things. I think, too, with evangelism, I forget who said it, that, that this illustration analogy is coming to mind, and I, it's not mine. But the way we come to Christ is obviously, you know, we go from dark to light. And, you know, just using the first John language. And for some people, that means that like a blindfold has been taken off and they immediately go from pitch dark to full bright light. For other people, it's like watching a sunrise. Well, when does the sun actually come up? I mean, it's hard to go. And now now's the sun's up. But you see this, you know, the gradient effect and it's and, and, and it's this like slow effect where you go, oh, it was complete darkness. And now look at this bright, shining glory of a sun ball standing in front of me. And so, you know, how the Lord reveals himself to individuals is always miraculous and by grace of God, but at times has those different kind of timing trajectories. But I I think with evangelism, we so often, the thing I fall into when I kind of am, am writing that, if you will, adult evangelism track, it's all focused towards knowledge. And in my own, maybe, not, not maybe, my sinfulness, I think, if I can just give these people enough knowledge, theology, uh, you know, courses, m- memorize this first, go to these things, do this, I can, you know, awake, y- your your eyes will be awakened to the truth. And from that, I think, Glenn, as you're speaking, as you've kind of, you know, um, spoken to, I'm devoid of the miraculous reality of the spirit moving, which is what mm-hmm. can happen in those revivals of like, no, the spirit needs to come in and a in and you know, quicken your heart and and call those dry bones to life and take the heart of of stone out and put the heart of flesh in. And that's evangelism. And we as pastors get to kind of watch and see how the Lord works. Sometimes it's that slow burn over weeks and months and years and decades. And sometimes it's a like, oh my goodness, I once was blind, but now I can see. And both of them, regardless of the timing, are miraculous gifts of God. And the result's the same. I'm literally looking at the Son of God. I was in darkness, and now I'm in light. To contrast, or maybe to push back, Ryan, just a little bit, I've been thinking about, too, of how does our time and culture play into this? Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we live in a culture that is continuing to be more and more biblically illiterate. And I don't know as pastors, we've done a good job of realizing that. Uh, And so there is a, um, in certain places, I think you have pockets of people that you can say certain things or um, use certain words and they understand them. But I'm even thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to preach through, we've been preaching through Isaiah 
Mm. And I'm about to preach through Isaiah 52 and 53. And it is the, the mountaintop of the Old Testament's understanding of penal substitutionary atonement. Mm-hmm. Now, I can get up on Sunday and I can say that. And I guarantee you I will lose a, a significant portion of people because they have no idea what penal substitutionary atonement means. <laughs> And until we build that knowledge out for them and explain to them why that's important, um, then they're really, I mean, that's the gospel. (laughs) That's the core of the gospel. Um, And so I I, I don't know. I I just wonder if we're going to have to, as we go forward in our culture, do more explaining to make the gospel make sense. Language I use is creating environments. <clears throat> and what I'm hearing you two talk about is an, an environment that you want to create where there is that knowledge, there is that explanation that can be found. But it's also recognizing that it is the spirit at work and it is the context of that person. We don't respond to anything if we don't feel a need. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we sense that need, and that need can come from maybe your words and talking about about hell or about whatever it is that that, that might point a need out to them um or it could just be just kind of we just want to be there when they have that need and and hopefully along the way they've gotten the knowledge and then i'll add that environment is an environment of relationship and trust so that they'll come to us uh they they know that we might have some knowledge uh that would match kind of their need or they don't know what to do and trust that the holy spirit is bringing that together and speaking but but to me it's just creating an environment where where that spirit can work work through his word, work through relationship, and work through a community of believers um, that they're uh, able to get to know and to, uh, and to enjoy um, and to hopefully flourish in. Can I, I, I think I want to, I have two comments here. One, because I, I don't want to take us away from this topic at hand. Glenn, it's, you know, I just as you said there, what came to mind and what just ignites my heart is the Lord is going to do his work regardless of the circumstances that we as mere humans try to create. Like it does not, we can have, we can try to have all the bells and whistles, all the right theology, all the right words, all of the right knowledge, all of the stuff. And he's going to do his work and he's going to use, you know, weak men and weak, weak people, weak theology to, to, to proclaim his name. That's how he's always done it. At the same time, that's so that's one comment. But Andy, to not not, not to get back to, but to kind of I think to continue the 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 conversation where you where you took it and I love it. It's yet how does the church create the space where evangelism is appropriate, even at the adult level, and even at the normal, I say quote unquote mundane, week in week out. Hey, the body of Christ is evangelizing people sitting in the pews. I do think, you know, to the point of this conversation, that's such a vital conversation to have. How do we do that and make it where not only is the pastor focused on evangelism of the people, but the people are focused on evangelizing each other or maybe able to accept the fact that the person sitting next to them might not fully believe and that's okay. Yeah. Because I know, I think in a lot of contexts, that's scary to be sitting next to somebody and go, wait, hold up, wait a second. 
the thing I just heard about you was that you believe differently than me, came from a different background than me, might not fully know all the theology than I am, and you are singing the same songs, sitting in the same pews, maybe even taking the same communion, which is, I know, can open it up, up another can of worms and might go in there. But how can we make a context where the local body is okay with that, understanding this is where people come and meet Jesus? So that was the comment, yeah. and, then get it, yeah. and then get us back on track. Yeah, I mean, the other, the other piece of this, and this goes more theological, um, but I, I think of it in terms of law and gospel all the time. Hmm. You know, as I'm preaching through the Scripture, I am, you know, and when I say law— what I mean is, you know, the the declarations of what God tells us to do, you know, in the most basic sense, the Ten Commandments of here's what God has said you must do. And the gospel is a declaration of what Christ has done, full stop, for us. And that's what we believe in. And I, I hope as I'm thinking about preaching, as I'm opening up God's word, I am declaring the law to people that they would understand their sin, their lostness. They would understand what God demands of them. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, I would expose them in a very, you know, regular way. And I would even say weekly way to the reality of the gospel and what Christ has done on their behalf. Um, I don't, I don't know that people always understand that. I, and I don't always articulate that every Sunday. Um, but, I'm hoping that I'm thinking that way as I'm preparing a message um, and, and helping to see people what God demands, but also helping people to see what God has done um, and that they would leave not feeling burdened and not feeling overwhelmed that here's the things I must do for God. Mm -hmm. But they would see that so that it would expose their need and they would turn to, to the Savior and that they, they would in faith trust what Christ has done for them. Um, again, that's that's highly theological, maybe th even theoretical, but I think as a pastor, it makes me think about that as I'm preparing and working through a sermon that I'm going to present. I appreciate this topic, uh, Andy, because yeah. I think we need to wrestle with with just that. Um, I don't know if we uh, if we get there, and uh, so thank you. Yeah, I would. I, I, yeah, I would just say if a, a church that doesn't, I would be leery of a church that wasn't convicted over its need to evangelize. I think if if you don't have that, like, mm, how can I do this better, more? How can the Lord? How, how can the Lord use me to reach more sinners? You you probably almost gotten too complacent. Hmm. Because I think it's th what what you're talking about. This whole idea it's scary. Because what you're asking for is how can how can we, as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, who's called to be salt and light in a dark world, how can we reach out and be um, gracious and loving and accepting of sinners, and yet at the same time, maybe not not accepting not in the way that they want us to accept, but at the same time, you know, hold that line of here, here's who the Lord has called us to be. That's such a difficult reality. And yet by the grace of God is what he's called us to. 
Well, and I pray that as God fills our churches with people that don't know the gospel, it would even inflame our hearts more to go out and to to reach those that aren't going to walk into the doors of the churches, but are in our circles of influence, you know, at work and school or in those places. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Amen. Amen. Praying for God to do that work in me and God for do that work in our churches um, as we go forward. Well, guys, this has been a great discussion. Thank you for taking the time uh, to help me work through some things I've been thinking about. And uh, thank you for those that are listening. I hope that uh, it's been an encouraging and stimulating conversation for you. And I hope you come back to join us again on Comparing Notes. Thank you for listening to the Comparing Notes podcast. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so by emailing us at comparingnotes at gmail.com.